0: Well, it is such an honor to be here this weekend and share this weekend with you to see the special work that God has going on here in Albuquerque and apparently Belize. Uh, we've just loved it here. In fact, my wife and I were the crazy people. They got up at 4 a.m. to see the balloons take off. <laughs> worth it, 100% worth it. So we're thrilled to be here. Wayne Williams, grew up a Chicago Cubs fan because that was his dad's favorite team. It marked his childhood. They would listen to games on the radio, occasionally watch them on television. And if you know anything about Major League Baseball, you know that being a Cubs fan for over 100 years was an exercise in futility. The last time they'd been to the World Series and won it was 1908. But like good fans do, they made a pledge when, not if, when the Cubbies made it back to the World Series, they would listen to the games together, and Wayne wouldn't have had it any other way. It was just his childhood. Couldn't imagine enjoying it without his dad. So when the Cubs did make it back to the World Series in 2016, it was actually a bit of a bittersweet moment for Wayne. It was sweet because the Cubbies were in the big show. It was a little bitter because it's going to be very difficult for him to keep his promise. See, Wayne now lives In North Carolina, his dad is all the way out in Indiana. But there's actually another factor that made it even more difficult, and that's the fact that Wayne's dad had died some years before. But Wayne believed if you make a promise, you keep a promise. So he drove out to Indiana, and I've got a picture here of what he did. Got on his father's grave, opened up his phone. And Wayne and his father listened to the Cubs win the World Series together. Yeah, isn't it amazing? That that story hit me as much as it did you. The fact that a guy would take his promise that seriously. He could have so easily said, look, it was just a sentimental promise made when I was a boy. It doesn't even matter. My dad's not even here. But he felt that there was something where once he gave his word. He was going to go through with it regardless of how difficult it might seem. And maybe the reason that story hit me so much is that God reminded me of a promise I had made that transformed my marriage. I already thought my marriage was okay, but it took it to another level. And that was a promise I made on the day I got married 38 years ago. And I used, if you use traditional vows, here's what you promised as well. I promised to love and to cherish until death do us part. That was probably the last time I ever thought about the word cherish. A little bit in the 80s or 90s when Madonna made it the title of a song, didn't listen to it that much, but I just let it go until God reminded me of this promise and convicted me. This is what you said you would do for your wife. I want you to figure out what it means, how to do it, and then I want you to Put it into practice and doing it was revolutionary for me. What it did is it just raised the bar. Whenever I've thought of marriage, I always thought of love, which is key. And, And love is the substance of marriage. It's sort of like the bread of marriage, right? It's what's the substance, we need it. But cherishing is like the jam, it's what makes the bread delicious. And I believe God was challenging me and also those in his church, as so many have taken up the call, to look at the quality of our marriages and say, how do we raise the bar? And I believe looking at, cher- at cherishing as the goal is one of the ways that we do that. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm single, watching online, it's time to tune out, or I'm here gonna have to hear another sermon on, on marriage. Let me just say why well, I think if you're a man or a woman who's single, why well, you might wanna consider this. You want this in marriage. Trust me, you do. And you need to know what cherishing means so that you have that standard for whoever you marry. As a pastor, I've seen so many singles where because they want to get married, they make so many excuses for the guy they're dating or sometimes the woman they're dating. Well, he's not that mean, and he's usually kind of thoughtful. I I want to raise the bar for you because if you know what cherishing is, and you want to be cherished in your marriage, and trust me, you do, then it's helpful to take a step back and realize, okay, this is what cherishing is. So so what is it biblically? I want to express it biblically by comparing the most famous chapter on love from 1 Corinthians 13, and then showing how concepts in Song of Songs, it doesn't use a word, but it uses the concepts of how we're called to cherish each other. And what you're going to see is that they are related, but cherish just turns love in a way that makes it even more beautiful. So let's try that. First Corinthians 13:4 tells us that love is about being gracious and altruistic. Love is patient and love is kind. But how is cherish different? Cherish is about being enthusiastic and enthralled. Song of Songs 4:10. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Love tends to be quiet and understated. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Cherish does boast. It boasts boldly and loudly. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Love thinks about others with selflessness. Love is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Cherish thinks about its beloved with praise. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Love doesn't want the worst for someone. Love does not delight in evil, but cherish celebrates the best in someone. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Love puts up with a lot. It always hopes. It always perseveres, but cherish enjoys a lot. Just doesn't put up. It enjoys. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. Love is about commitment. Love endures all things. Love never fails. While well, cherish is about delight and passion. Your name is like perfume poured out. Now, love and cherish never compete. I'm not trying to elevate cherish to denigrate Love. In fact, without love, cherish won't last. It'll be a sentimental notion. Maybe you're inspired and convicted and you try it out, but if love doesn't support it, it's like a soap bubble. But without cherish, love can start to feel more like a duty and a discipline than a delight. And I think so often in our marriages as Christians, we've defined a Christian marriage quantitatively it hasn't been broken we're still married what if in this word entering this word into our common conversation god wants to raise the qualitative aspect of our marriages it's not just about staying together it's the way we treat each other and what i found that cherish does love focuses me on my obligations serve sacrifice be committed hang in there those are all good things but cherish Focuses me on the excellence, the beauty, even the wonder of my spouse, which creates an entirely different experience within marriage. And what I love about cherish, it can be chosen. Infatuation is this brain fog that hits us. We don't choose it. In fact, we talk about falling in love. It's like we trip. Suddenly we wake up and we're in love. Cherishing is something you can choose. There are attitudes, there are actions, there are decisions that you can make that will build up a cherishing heart in your marriage. So what do we do? What what, what are some of the steps? It is painful to try to summarize a book and a weekend seminar in 33 minutes, but let me give it a shot because I want you to have something to take away. The first step is this. We have to remember our promise, right? We said we would cherish our spouse. Are we willing to do it? Not just love, but cherish. Guys, your wives want more than simply being loved. They want to know they're cherished. What broke my heart one time was I realized, was I was praying before the Lord. If I don't cherish my wife, she will never be a cherished wife. I'm the only one that can do that. She'll never know what it means to be cherished. Here's a woman who's committed her life to me, and I don't want her to pay for that by never knowing what it is. To be a cherished wife. And the husband talks about what it means to be a cherished wife. In Song of Songs 4.9. He says this. You have stolen my heart. My sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. It's this experience that when he sees her. There's just something about her that makes his heart stop. That impacts him like nobody else Does. After I'd finished writing Cherish and been putting this into practice and really trying to see it happen in my life, I had a surprising experience. I usually wake up a couple hours before my wife. I just don't sleep that much, and so I've been working in my office. Our master bedroom is just the next door, and I heard my wife rustling around, and I knew she was awake. I knew she would soon go walk down the hall, open up my door, and come up, and she'll give me a hug and, and tell me about her dreams or what her day is. And the best way to describe it is my heart leapt. I was just so excited. Lisa's awake. Now, I had been married to her for decades at that time. And that didn't happen the first decade we're married. It didn't happen the second decade we were married. What was different? I'd learned how to cherish her. Here's what I found. And this is true of all of God's commands. See, I first started cherishing my wife because I believe he convicted me. And he said, you promise? I'm going to hold you to it, and so I want to do it. But like everything God asks of us, haven't you found this to be true? When we obey, the blessing is more than we could imagine. We might do it because we think we're supposed to do it, and then God so blesses us. It makes so much sense. How could I be this dense? When you learn to cherish your spouse, it's a delight when they wake up because your favorite person in the world is now awake, and you get to interact with them. It just caught me by surprise, but it's just the way of God that there's so much joy in obedience. But wives, your husbands also want to feel cherished. Now, they might be suspicious of the word. When I was interviewing people for the book and I talked to guys, what does it mean to be cherished? And they'd like, I have to turn in my man card if I say I want to be cherished. But they know the concept pastor was with seven leading guys in his church these are leaders a lot of people envied him they looked up to him and he asked him, he just wanted to know what was going on in the homes in his church so he said how many of your wives love you all seven hands went up all right how many of your wives like you all seven hands went down every husband felt loved not a single one felt cherished and what they would tell you is, look, I married a good Christian woman. She fears God. She's not going to break her word before God. And, and so she's going to love me. She's going to stay there. But at best, she tolerates me. That creates a whole different dynamic in marriage. That, that I believe God is calling us to do more. Because wives, just why you want to hear, you've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Your husbands want to hear Song of Songs four, nine, or 2-3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. Now why should that verse stand out? You don't usually see apple trees in the middle of a forest, right? They don't usually make it. There's something different about him. He's unusual. All of these lumber trees just fit into each other. He is different. He's an apple tree that's sweet to the taste. There's something different about my husband. He wants to know that you look at him differently. He's not like all the other guys. He's something special to you. Now, the good news is, I, I, I promise you, I would not have come here this weekend. I would have, wouldn't have written the book if I wasn't convinced of this, that you can choose to cherish your spouse. Otherwise, I I don't want to just make you feel guilty. How do I know that? The perfect God who cherishes the imperfect us is more than capable of empowering us, inspiring us, and equipping us to cherish our imperfect spouses. I'm not saying your spouse is always easy to cherish, but I'm saying the God who will help you cherish is powerful and mighty and more than capable of doing that. Say, so why would he do that? Not just for your enjoyment. That's a big thing. God is into your enjoyment. But I was convicted last week and, and frankly shocked when Todd, Pastor Todd, said that 90% of people in, in this area around this church haven't yet said yes to Jesus. And while he encouraged you to invite more people here, which I urge you to do. We know a lot of them aren't going to come in these doors. So what do we do? Well, what if we can bring our marriages to them? What if they're watching us on the ball field, in the boardroom, in schools and libraries and office buildings, and they notice it? People here, they they treat their spouses differently. I've never seen a husband treat his wife that way or a wife talk about her husband. What is it? Why do you love each other that way? And that's when we connect them with Jesus, the God who cherishes the imperfect me, inspires me and equips me to cherish my imperfect spouse. I I want that marriage. Then come with us this weekend and meet the God who makes it possible. It's wonderful what it does for our marriages, but it's just as powerful for what it does for our witness. So remember your promise and why it matters, why God might be convicting you that it goes beyond your marriage. The second step after you remember your promise is we need a new mindset. Why? Christian transformation begins with the mind. Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you want to transform your marriage, you have to change the way you think about your spouse. There's really two choices, growing contempt or growing cherish. How do you you make a difference? The, The vision I believe that God gave me, it was so powerful, it's changed the way I look at my wife. Going back to the Garden of Eden, think about this, for a brief moment of time, as Adam received Eve, she was the only woman in the world. There was no one he could compare her to. He couldn't knock her down. Well, she's athletic, but she's not as smart as this one. She doesn't have a sense of humor like that one. No, for all he knew, Eve defined what a woman is, and this is the tough part, and what a woman is supposed to be. He couldn't imagine a woman any other way because he had never seen a woman who was any other way. And wives, the same thing was true of Adam. For Eve, he was the only man in the world. She couldn't say, boy, I wish he had a sense of humor like Bob. Or I, I wish he had the work ethic of of Jim. Well, they probably didn't call him Bob and Jim back then, but you know, <laughs> Jacob and Ezekiel or something like that. And so Adam defined for her what a husband is, what a husband's supposed to be. Now you can take this too far. I'm not excusing abuse, things like that, but it's going away from the things like contempt, because so often what leads to contempt is that we compare our spouse's weaknesses with another spouse's strengths and then they come out wanting and it just doesn't make any sense for us to do that and and I've signed so many couples to do it and I just ask you when you do that, think about the last time you've negatively compared your spouse what did it get you? After 15 minutes ruminating on that, comparing well he doesn't do what she does or she doesn't do what he that, that person does, you go I feel so much better about life now I'm so much happier. Boy, I'm so, no, you feel more depressed. And your spouse probably notices it because your eyes don't light up. They kind of close or they're clouded with disappointment. So cherishing begins with a commitment to contentment. It's a spiritual principle. There's a great Christian classic that talks about how God is the only perfect being and we can't expect anyone else to be everything like God is. We're just parts. The analogy that he would use is, is like comparing birds. The peacock is just this incredible bird, largely recognized as the most beautiful bird on the planet. But have you ever heard a peacock's voice? It's like torture. It's like nails on a blackboard. And then you have a blackbird. Not much to it to look at. But have you ever heard a blackbird sing? You're lifted up to heaven, or the trees. So there there are fruit trees. If you're hungry, if you need nutrition, you want to grow fruit trees, but you can't build a house with a fruit tree. If you want to build a house, you go to the forest, you get the the lumber trees. And so the point is, no spouse can be everything, even though we often try to make them that. If you fell in love with the blackbird, be a fan of blackbirds. Don't expect your blackbird to look like a peacock, all right? All right. And if you married a peacock, don't expect your peacock to sing like a blackbird. It just doesn't happen. If you fell in love with a fruit tree, that sounds really funny. But if you fell in love with, you're a fan of fruit trees. You're not trying to build a house with that spouse. You're hiring somebody to build a house if you married that spouse. Guys, this is what's so key. If we want our wives to feel cherished, and don't we, out of all the women on the planet, they said, I will marry you. You know what they want? Song of Songs 6-9. I rarely repeat a verse when I'm writing a book. This came up three times because it's so key for us to learn. Song of Songs 6-9 says this. My dove, my perfect one, she's the only one. So husband like, there's nobody like her. The competition is over. Comparison, stop. She is my perfect one. She's not just perfect. She's the only one. And guys, I got to tell you, this is why porn justifiably bothers so many women why some will go into ptsd legitimately clinical ptsd when they find out because they don't want to be compared he chose me i want me to fill up his eyes and that's what it means to cherish our spouse When I was doing a sacred marriage conference one time, it was a large church like this. I'd been in the green room. They came running in and said, Gary, we need you to do a mic check. We forgot. We can't open up the worship center till you do the mic check. Hurry, so I'm coming. And my wife was setting up the book table. Now, you might see her out there if you go by the book table now. If you do, um, you'll think like most people that we just don't belong together. She looks freakishly young compared to me. We're only three years apart. She looks way younger. In fact, one time she was at a book table and somebody said, boy, you must be so proud of your daddy. And she goes, I am, but he didn't write these books. I'm saying that to defend the woman's reaction. So I'm walking, and I've got I've to go fast. They said it was and My wife said at the book to me, I want to at least say hi. I didn't want to ignore her. And so I went by, I smiled, and I, I patted her And She doesn't mind. I know some wives hate that. If she did, I wouldn't do it. For whatever reason, she kind of likes it, and I'm happy to do it. So that's our marriage, all right? So I'm patting her and smiling. She smiles back. And this middle-aged woman saw this. She got a really nasty look on her she marches up to my wife. Is that Gary Thomas? She's like taking aback. Lisa. Yes? Are you his wife? She's expecting her to say no. And if you know my wife, she's so sweet. She would never talk like this. But she just thought I was being insulted. And she said, just kind of came out. Goes, no, he was with his wife last weekend. This weekend, it's my turn. <laughs> I was like, honey, you can't say that. She goes, but Gary, that's not you. In a million years, you're not that guy. I said, read the newspapers. It happens. I go, but she did set it straight. So no rumor got out. She told her, sorry, yeah, it is my husband. And, and, and it was there. But, but look, here, here's the fair attitude the woman had. You only treat your wife that way. You only look at your wife that way. You only touch your wife that way. And we all know that's true. Here's what I'm asking of you men and women. I don't want to think about my wife that way. We're so careful about touch. We're often careful about words, and we should be, but I want to be just as careful about my thought. She is my Eve, the only woman in the world, and I want her to feel that way in my mind and in my heart and with my eyes. So we remember our promise. We change our mindset. And third, this is one. I got like 20 things, but I just have time for one. Here's a key one. If I cherish Someone, I want to showcase that person. We just know this. If you cherish something, you want to show it off, don't you? Have you ever seen a newly engaged woman? She kind of walks around like this, just hoping somebody's going to notice her finger. Or guys that get a new car, they're really into cars, they put it on Facebook. You go to their house. Hey, come out. You got to see my new baby. I remember for so much of my life being so annoyed by new grandparents that would show pictures of their babies to me. I'm like, you know, your baby really isn't all that. I kind of wanted to, I, I don't know I'd put that on a Gerber bottle. I mean, it just maybe has to grow into it or something. I just never got it until Lisa and I had our own granddaughter. And all of a sudden, I can't wait to show thousands of people this weekend my granddaughter. And I'm so happy because when she's that cute, how can you not cherish her? I mean, I so cherish her. I want you to cherish I want you to see her cuteness, her adorableness, her beauty. And the same thing has to be true of our wives. When we cherish our spouse, the wives of your husbands, you want to showcase them. You want others to see they're excellent. There's a great analogy of this from the ballet community. George Balanchine is one of the most famous choreographers ever. He had been a dancer before. And his his motto was, I want to make the beautiful yet more beautiful. I work with these beautiful dancers, he says, but I want to make them even more beautiful by the way we showcase them and, and highlight them. And so we had a famous phrase called the ballet is woman. And what he meant by that is that people go to the ballet primarily for couples to see the ballerina. It's her strength, her athleticism, her grace, her beauty. And so the best male dancers, the one that Balanchine would look for, are the ones that would showcase the ballerina, not the ones that would use their strength to step in front and show their muscles or their moves. They're there to support her and lift her because a, a, a ballerina can just do more with a guy supporting her than she can on her own. It's just human physics. I want to show you a clip from a documentary narrated by Sarah Jessica Parker on the New York Ballet Company about couples dancing. Now, you can flip the genders on this. This doesn't have to be way, but I want you to just think, what would marriage be like if our attitude is to showcase our spouse's strengths to find their beauty and their point of excellence so that others can see it? If that was the attitude we woke up with. Look at this clip. When a male dancer is paired with a ballerina, he can support, stabilize, lift, and turn her, allowing the partner to perform feats she could never do alone. One of my favorite parts of dancing is partnering. I love having a connection with someone on stage. There's a saying we have that ballet is woman. The best thing I can do as a partner is to kind of disappear and make sure that everybody in the audience is enjoying her performance. Because it's not about you. It's about making the woman look beautiful. It takes true artistry to make a woman feel that safe on stage while she's trying to do all these different things. You just have to have that that trust. It's not always perfect or safe, but usually they'll catch you before your head hits the ground. <laughs> usually. <laughs> so, well, I, I got dropped on my head once, but. <laughs> <laughs> Partnering's a lot about confidence, and you have to go for things, because if you don't go for it, then it doesn't work out. Right, yeah. And a lot of these lifts I've never done before, and they're kind of scary. I'm sort of afraid of heights. With Craig, I'm not afraid at all. <laughs> 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 well, I know... I know he's not gonna drop me, right? Yeah, not yet. <laughs> If that was my daughter, I'd want Craig to be a little more assured. Yes, I'll never drop you. But but just imagine this. See, this was such 180 degrees different for me. I would wake up early on in my marriage. Is my wife going to notice me, appreciate me, and show me, and, and brag about me? You can't control that. What if you wake up? I want my spouse to be cherished. How can I help others see Her beauty and her excellence. Somebody from the dancing community told me that before she would do a move, her husband would, or the the male dancer would touch her hip. And it was just his way of saying, I got you. You can do this. And when your spouse begins to feel cherished at home, imagine what they might do out in the public sphere. It's such an enormous feeling to be cherished by one who knows you best. That it really doesn't matter if the world laughs at you or if you fail in the world because what matters most, the the one that you have pledged your love to cherishes you and that energizes you and gives you strength to the point where I would say, you don't know what your spouse can be if they've never been cherished. Spouses flourish when they're cherished just as they feel the life drain out of them when they're faced with contempt. You can create a new spouse when you cherish your spouse. Now, I'm a realist. I've worked with marriages for decades now. I've been a pastor in two large churches. And I know some of you are saying, Gary, I can't think of one thing to showcase about my spouse. To be honest with you, I don't know where I would begin. And I know some of how that happens because psychologically, there's something about our brain Even when we see something excellent in our spouse, the excellent becomes a status quo. We stop seeing it, and we become obsessed with the negative. And then we go into the comparison, and then it goes to the contempt. So what you need to do if you're at that place is to showcase your spouse first to yourself. And one of the ways is to remind you, remind yourself of what your spouse does. What I did one year, I stole this idea from someone else, but it was so powerful in my own life. I got out a daily journal, and every day I would write down something that Lisa had done the day before that I could specifically thank her for, or a character quality that I treasured, and I I was going to make it her Christmas gift that year. And it's, you know, first 30 days you're thinking of something, and then 60 days. When you hit about three months, sometimes I had to sit before the Lord and say, God, would you remind me what I can thank my wife for? Yes, sir, because I couldn't keep mentioning the same thing. Now imagine what it does to a husband. Just think about this practically. When my first thought in the morning, I was determined I wouldn't start a lick of work until I would written in that journal. God, remind me of something I can thank my spouse for. I remember in the summer being terrified. What if I lose this? Because it was all handwritten. There was no copy. Even if I would have... It had already changed my marriage because it just changed the way I thought about her, talked about her, and appreciated her. She'd just see the difference in my attitude because I was showcasing her to myself and it made me cherish her even more. And so it was one of the Christmas presents I gave her. One of my kids was pretty shocked the old desire. She goes, Dad, sheesh, that's like something you only see in a Hallmark movie that nobody ever actually does. But I wanted my kids to see even decades into my marriage. There's so much I appreciate about your mom. I cherish this woman. I know some of you are hearing this, but you're still thinking, Gary, this sounds so great. If I could start over and have a cherishing marriage with someone else, I'd love to give it a try. But let me tell you and end with a story of a guy who found out it's not that way. I spoke in Winnipeg in February some years ago, which I don't recommend anybody do. Even in Canada, they call it Winterpeg. I mean, it is freezing cold. But because of the weather, he had to drive so slowly, so I was able to hear his story, which was so inspiring. When he said, Gary, you have no idea how true everything you're saying is. He said, I've been married twice. He told me the story of his first marriage, which was a good marriage, They had traditional roles, and he loved his wife. They did what they thought husbands and wives were supposed to do. And then toward the end of the marriage, his wife started to get sick. The last eight months, she was dying. So he had to do everything, cooking, cleaning, shopping, because when the spouse you love is dying, it's what you do. After she died, he was single for four years. And when you're single, you have to do everything because there's no one else to do it. Then he met another woman. She had never been married. They decided to get married. And he said, Gary, I decided I wanted to treat my second wife like I treated my first wife the last eight months of our marriage. I want to do what I did for my first wife. I've been single for four years. Why don't I just keep doing those things? And he goes, I'm going to start calling her princess because I want to remind myself to treat her like a princess. And had a wonderful 15, 19... I forget, between 15 and 19 years of marriage. And sadly, she also became ill and died. So he's looking back and with tears in his eyes, he said, Gary, my second marriage was so much deeper, more fulfilling, and even happier than my first marriage. Not because my second wife was better than my first wife. They were kind of the same. Spiritual maturity, maturity. Pleasantness of personality, relational ability. There wasn't much difference. The difference was my attitude. While I loved my first wife, I loved and cherished my second wife. And it made all the difference. Why not give it a try? What if you could leave here today with the same spouse, start doing this, and have an entirely different, different marriage over time it's possible because god will make it possible god cherishes you he can help you cherish your spouse and he wants your spouse to be cherished not only for your own happiness but the witness it will give to albuquerque belize and beyond the church is known for saying we need to keep our marriages together i don't refute that but let's look at the quality of our marriages And I believe raising the bar to love and cherish is one of the ways we get there. Let's pray. Father, this, just even talking about it's such a beautiful picture to me because it reminds me of how you cherish us in our sin. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And how you call us to treat others the way you have treated us. And I know some here, they may not feel like their spouse is worthy of being cherished. But God, you are worthy of being obeyed and worshiped and honored. So I pray that you would transform our hearts. would Remind us of our promises. Reset the way we think about our spouse. Chase out comparison. Help us to showcase our spouse and worship and please you in the process. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.